Hello and welcome to another episode of the Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Matt, and I am super excited today to be joined by Tyler Elliston, who is founder of a company called Right Side Up. Tyler, thank you so much for joining. Pleased to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I'm excited today to talk about staffing strategy around growth teams because I, this is something that I feel like winds up in a binary a lot. And after talking to Tyler uh, before this and a couple other folks on his team, I learned how much more there is to the decisions and the strategy around it. So uh, I, I think Tyler is an expert on this uh, based on what he's seen and who he's worked with. Uh, and so Tyler, if you could give a, a quick intro on yourself, that would be fantastic. And then we can go ahead and dive in. Definitely. Yeah. So, so my background is really as a growth marketer in in-house roles. Uh, this is the first time I've ever worked on the services side. I've also been an early stage founder who raised venture capital, built out a team and have been in that, in that position where I'm looking for expertise and, and trying to figure out, you know, the right way to staff it. Um, right side up has, has basically given me the opportunity to see across hundreds of companies, all of whom have, have very specific goals. And many of them have plans for how they want to get there, uh, but there's there's usually a gap between the staffing that they have and, and sort of FTEs and possibly agencies and the staffing level that they need in order to, to make the progress that they want at the pace that they want. So we always start with these sort of conversations about, about goals and plans, and then sometimes there's an opportunity for us to plug in, sometimes there's not. Uh, companies we've worked with include Stitch Fix, Zenefits, DoorDash, Cabbage, Yelp, Segment, many others, uh, a lot of earlier stage companies as well, uh, which is, again, giving us kind of the opportunity to see across industry and stage. That is awesome. And I, to, to circle back on the topic here, I think many people do see the staffing decision as just like, a, should I do full-time uh, in-house or should I work with an agency or, or a contractor or something? And from what we had talked about, the the nature of the decision that you make and the way that you piece together your team is really going to drive like what works and what doesn't at the end of the day. Uh, and so uh, I, I would love to, to start at the top. And just to uh, clarify here, we're talking mainly about like marketing functions of growth teams rather than than product roles in this, just for the, the yeah. folks listening. So let's start at the very top and set some context. What are beyond the like core binary in-house external, what are the options that someone has around staffing that someone might want to be thinking about as they either continue to invest in their growth organization or are starting from scratch? Yeah, so I kind of I kind of view talent as you have sort of a, a basic unit of a certain specialization for, you know, call it an hour a week. And then you can kind of configure that talent in different structures, right? It can be configured in an FTE package. It can be configured, you know, sort of um, in an agency package behind that brand. It can be a freelancer or it could be something like Right Set Up, which is kind of a hybrid and then there's also like different time configurations. So you could, you know, you could wait for an FTE to meet a particular need. You could have interim resources until an FTE, you know, is, is recruited and landed. Um, and so you've got both the sort of packaging of the talent and then the time dimension. Um, and when you combine those, you have, you know, you have quite a few options. I love the the framing of this because it is very much in line with the way that 
like as you said, you're you're also actively a growth marketer. It's aligned with the way that you would want your growth team to think, right? It's like, all right, I have this amount of resources. How do I structure them as ta- right? The two axes that you have are talent and time, right? Um, yes. So I, that that's fantastic. So what are uh, some of the like pros and cons that you might land with one or the other uh, to to start us off here? Yeah, it's a great question. I. I the way that I would kind of uh, frame it is each configuration has attributes that in some contexts will be a pro and in other contexts might be a con. So like, it's like three attributes that, that somebody might consider. One is, um, is this fixed versus flexible? You know, are the hours that, that a staffing solution affords, are, are those hours flexible? Can you ratchet them up or, up or down as needed? Are the skill sets flexible? Can you, you know, if you find out, hey, this channel doesn't work or this tactic doesn't work, can you easily pivot, you know, to something else? So fixed versus flexible, sort of one attribute. Another is low cost versus high cost, both in the form of salary, but then also equity and benefits. And then the third attribute, you know, might be easy versus hard, um, both onboarding and offboarding. Is it, does it take a lot of time to do it? Are there, are there great risks of, of making a mistake? And then is it easy to, to change on the backside if you sort of get it wrong? So these attributes can be, can be pros and cons in different environments. For example, like FTEs are, are like fixed units, right? It's not easy to flex FTE hours up or down. Uh, it's not easy to reallocate an FTE to do a different skill set um, or need that the business may have, but they don't, you know, they, they don't have. Uh, based on their past experience, it's it's, it's kind of like buying bulk at Costco. You know, it's like if you really need that much of something and your needs won't change, you can get a great deal and not have to go back to the store for a long time. But but if your needs are going to change or they're going to or they're going to be reduced, you can waste a lot of money. And so so that's an example. Sort of you know, FTE is fixed, and in some environments that that would be good. In others, particularly like an early stage startup that wants to go test Facebook advertising for the first time, right? Like the fixed nature of an FTE might, might really make that a bad fit for that context. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? If it's if it's some brand new channel and you're not actually sure if you're going to build this thing out and invest in it in the next, you know, post six months, then you're probably better off thinking of the, the sliding scale of the flexibility. For, for hours and commitment. That's right. Yeah. And, and specifically on the fixed versus flexible, there are a few scenarios where we regularly see companies highly value flexible. So one is access to specialization, um, whether, whether they're currently using a particular tactic or not, they just need someone who is like a 10 out of 10 for some period of time to make sure that they're, you know, planning the right way and executing the right way. Another uh, situation is when they're trying to test something like the Facebook example. You know, we talk to early stage companies regularly that that say, "Hey, we really want to do this, so we're going to go hire a Facebook marketer." And and not only is that risky for them, but it's also really hard to find an A plus Facebook marketer to go stand up a channel for the first time when like LTVs aren't proven, CACs uh, aren't established in the channel, and so it it is really really hard to achieve a very high quality bar um, in some cases when you have not like, you know, tested it out first. The, the last one I would say is like seasonality or leave. Like these are other situations where flexibility is really, is really valuable. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. One thing that comes to mind as as you talk about this is, well, if I'm just getting started and I want flexibility, can I just go find like the full stack growth marketer that, you know, bring them on full time and they'll be the one to test all my new channels over the next year? Like, what what are your, your thoughts around that? That's a great question. My answer to this would have been different 10 years ago. Channels and tactics, m- many have become so specialized that it's very hard to be A plus in a lot of different things. For, let's take Marketo, for example. Like, like being a Marketo expert requires enough time and attention that that person is, is pretty unlikely to also be A plus in like Facebook advertising, which also tends to require a lot of, you know, a lot of like following what Facebook is doing and like really nitty gritty optimizations and analytics. So I would, I would generally argue strongly in favor of specialization, which just makes it really hard to have uh, one person cover a lot of different areas. So like, may, like, yes, there are channels where there's commonly overlap, but a lot of times it's like, okay, like SEO and Snapchat advertising, like those two things rarely exist at a high level in the same person. Right. Right. And so you're almost running a risk because because these talent sets have become more specialized. If you're trying to find someone that can span across a bunch of them, you're more likely to get someone that is like, okay at a bunch and then get a false negative on those channels as you try to invest in them from the start. Is, Is that accurate? Yes, that is absolutely accurate. I will say though, one, you know, one thing we see companies do, like I'm, I'm not advocating against the value of the generalists, like certainly for early stage companies, you know, a generalist can be amazing, but I would just caution that if they are, if they're directed to something that's highly specialized, that would actually be an ideal time to, you know, that the, the use case of sort of access to specialization, like pairing a generalist who's an FTE and has all the organizational context, cross-functional relationships that can be a great partnership between that person and an outside expert, even if it's just like five to 10 hours a week, that, that is actually a, a great pairing in a way that doesn't marginalize either the generalist or the specialist. Right. Because then you have this generalist with all the knowledge of how to navigate the internal decisions that enables the specialist that is the more flexible part-time to do even more and better with the hours that you're paying them for anyway. Exactly. And if you, if you do want to bring it in house um, and, and the external resource that you're using is transparent, you know, that generalist can become a specialist over time. Right. So, so they can learn and, um, and you could, you could then bring it in house once you feel, feel confident that, you know, that, that you've got a plus talent in that particular skill set. Got it. So the, another Another pro or argument for the part-time flexible in addition to one full-time specialist is that you you then get to gather the knowledge to make that channel continue to work. And then as soon as you hit some sort of scale with it, that is, all right, like it's time to really invest in that, then you have a bit more of an opportunity to say, all right, we, it's, it's time for us to take this in-house and we have a person that like deeply understands it now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I even even though I'm on the services side now, 
you know, again, like I was a founder in-house VP of marketing. I, I strongly believed and continue to believe that long-term an in-house staffing ethos or approach is, is the right one, provided that you can get A-plus talent and you know that that need is not going to change or go anywhere. I would counsel any, you know, any marketing or demand gen leader to yes, use outside experts to get specialization, but but I would always be thinking about okay, over time, how does this transition in house? Um, unless it unless it truly is just you know you just kind of make the strategic call like hey, this is not going to be one of our core competencies. We're going to focus on these other things, which which is totally okay. I mean, com- companies do that as well, but um, it's not the way that it's not the way that I I historically kind of operated or would necessarily counsel. So what you said there is interesting because it it shows that there is a decision point early on where you as the founder or marketing leader or whatever it might be need to just kind of make a decision of is this going to be a core competency of ours or not because that drives a lot of the strategy. Do you think that is a decision that actively needs to be made or do you think that that it's okay to be passive about it until you figure out the channels that work? I think it's okay to be passive about it. I mean, certainly, certainly taking something like deciding that something is a core competency and trying to bring it in house and doing that too early can be very can be very costly for for a variety of reasons. So I think I think being passive with it is fine. Often, what we'll see is companies that are either working extensively with agencies or or with us candidly. Like if you start using a lot of hours from external resources, like it just starts getting really expensive and that becomes a forcing function to consider, okay, like, is this really the approach that we want to take longer term or is now the point where we want to start bringing it in house? So, so often kind of cost is, is one of the forcing functions to make that, you know, make that decision. Yeah. Do you have examples of what good, like really good looks like for a company that maybe gets this balance really right? Because it sounds like it's this like actively evolving decision process. Of, yeah. All right, time to get a new channel. Like, can you walk us through an example? Yeah. So, so I, so first of all, the, the sort of criteria of what, what does good look like, I think is, is worth a, a mention here. Um, so, so the first is that staffing actually needs to meet the needs that you have. Like it would be hard for me to say, oh, so-and-so or this company does it really well if they're if they're fundamentally under or overstaffed, right? So that's sort of the first sort of requirement. The second would be that they're they're deploying A plus quality talent and and that's with the nuance of specialization. So even if somebody's an A plus generalist, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's, you know, that they're doing a great job. If, if that person is deployed on a really specialized skill set. So staffing needs to meet the need, A plus quality with a specialization nuance. And then a third, which I would consider sort of an optimization is like at the lowest cost possible, <laughs> right? So uh, sort of recognizing those trade-offs of when to transition things in-house, I think is sort of the third quality of, of an organization or a leader that's really doing this well. Uh, to directly answer your question, I think I would give two examples. One, Mike Dubow at Stitch Fix, um, when he was there, he's he's now moved over to the to the investment side with Greylock, but but he was very very good at this. Um, so he was you know aggressively building out an in-house team. He still used agencies in select places that were smart. Uh, he worked with freelancers. He worked with us. And really wove all of those resources together into a very high-performing team. 
I would say the same about, about Micah at DoorDash, very similar. So they, you know, obviously want to build out their in-house team. They use agencies, they use us. And again, have, have, have cobbled that sort of talent structure to meet, meet their needs, which evolve, you know, rapidly as with any other company. And on the flip side, is there like a very obvious pitfall that you see some organizations fall into that you look at their structure or their decision? You're like, this thing isn't going to work out (laughs) in the way that they put it together. Yeah, that's a great question. So, okay. Uh, I think there are a few here that I would call out. So, so one of the biggest is misunderstanding what's actually needed. So either bad goals or bad plans to reach those goals that kind of makes any staffing approach doomed to fail. Whether, you know, whether it's FTE or right side up or freelancers. Uh, so, so one common one that we see is early stage companies that are either going to market or they clearly don't have product market fit if they have launched, uh, but they have really aggressive volume goals. Like that is, that is the wrong goal. So like we're constantly trying to pivot them to, hey, until you have like really good product market fit and, and like healthy LTVs and retention, it really... Like the goal should not be hitting a hundred thousand orders this month. You know, it really needs to be on getting enough people through the funnel so that you can optimize, um, optimize both the product and the experience until you, until you reach that inflection point where you're ready to scale. So that, that honestly is probably the biggest one. And, and on that point, like we actively like turn away companies that, you know, we believe they're looking at it the wrong way. Before you yeah. jump to a second, I, I, I apologize for jumping in here. I want to ask another uh, another point on that. Do you think that yeah. generally fall in the spot of like over optimizing for volume as a result of uh, investor pressure? Is it a result of them just they have heard that this other company scaled up using this channel and so they just want to go all in on it? Like where how how does someone end up in that spot? Both of those examples are definitely like we see both of those frequently. I think as much exposure uh, that sort of customer development and product market fit have gotten over the last ten years, I think there's still there's still some just kind of lack of appreciation for how hard that is, and and so so sort of reaching it doesn't doesn't have the same cachet as growing a hundred percent month over month. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, like you get really, yes, investor pressure, yes, examples of others that have done it, but also just really ambitious leaders, you know, like, like yeah. we want to succeed. We want to, we want to scale. We want our investors to think that we're amazing. And, and we know that, that volume can do that. And it's not quite as clear that, um, saying, Hey, we, you know, we put in all of these cycles and look at, you know, look at how we've evolved our, our product market fit. Like it just, it's just, a, you know, it's harder to, you know, make that claim as true as it is. It sounds like what you're saying is you've seen that mindset. It turns into a ticking time bomb because as soon as the LTV to CAC gets out of control, the whole thing starts to fall apart. Well, absolutely. And you, you can waste a ton of money. I mean, this is why we don't want to work with them because we don't, we don't want to be the waste of money, <laughs> right? right. It's, it's like, it would, it would be much better to to not ever go out and be like, okay, we're going to spend a hundred thousand dollars on Facebook this month. It would be better just to not ever, not ever do that and just focus on getting a product market fit. So, so yes, it's a ticking time bomb and expectations and wasted effort, but also for that early stage company that has 
you know, limited resources, it, it, it can be an incredible waste of money. Okay, great. Go on to your second point. So a couple of other common mistakes. One is um, having an unqualified FTE do a job just because they're available. So I think I've already made that point, you know, pretty thoroughly in terms of specialization. Uh, and you correctly pointed out that can lead to false negatives. The, the third is sort of the opposite of having qualified external resources like a freelancer or us or an agency, you know, do a job that can't possibly do uh, be done well without internal context and relationships. So, you know, an example of this would be like a go-to-market uh, strategy where it's like heavy, it's, you know, it's, it's heavy like product marketing and there are really significant cross-functional requirements that are subject to like politics and different agendas. Like that is very, very hard to have an external person navigate that well. Um, so that would just kind of be the caution on the, on the other side, sort of in favor of FTEs. Right. There's, there's all this other stuff internally that it heavily influences the outcome of the work, irrespective of the tactics of the program. Yes. I mean, even just the credibility of an external person, right? Like, like why should a VP of pro like, like I talked to somebody yesterday where the, the person that we have there is, is sort of a growth person working on things that traditionally live between marketing and product. And it's, it's highly cross-functional. And yeah, the challenge is like, okay, why should the VP of product take this person seriously? Like, do they really have a mandate and do they really understand the dynamics? It's just a, it's just a harder situation. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have like a set framework or set of questions you can re recommend someone ask themselves if they're either about to make a staffing decision or reevaluating something that they've already done? So a few questions that I would ask in addition to those, you know, evaluating those attributes. One is, am I sure that I have the right goals or is that part of what I need help with? <laughs> uh, two, am I sure that my plan is the right one to hit those goals? Or again, is that something that I need help with? And then if, you know, if, if you're confident in the goals and you're confident in the plan, then it really is just about like, okay, do I have the specialized talent to execute on this? And if the answer is yes, then great, you're, you're ready to go. If not, then it's like, you know, how quickly do I need it? How many hours a week will this take? How confident am I that, you know, I'll need the same skill set in 6, 12, 18 months? And I think as you ask those questions, you can kind of, you know, map those back to the attributes and, and figure out, you know, what, you know, which options are best suited for you. Certainly back on those, just to kind of run through the options, you know, FTEs are generally fixed, low cost, and hard to onboard and offboard. Agencies are sort of like medium flexibility, assuming you don't have like a, like a 12-month contract. Uh, they tend to be high cost, but they're very easy to onboard and offboard. Freelancers are very flexible. They're kind of medium cost, so, so more costly than FTEs, but not as costly as agencies typically. And they're kind of medium onboarding. It's usually not as plug and play as bringing on an agency. You know, you've got different contract structures, different start dates and availability, et cetera. And then right side up is, is kind of like a, a, a freelancer, you know, pivot where it's like, you know, we're flexible, medium cost and, and, and easy onboarding. So we're kind of between freelancers and agencies. So I think if you ask those questions, kind of figure out the attributes, then you can sort of shortlist, okay, you know, here are the staffing approaches that could make sense. 
Awesome. And while that was a really good point to end, I have another question that I really want an answer to. Yeah. Um, yeah, how, how can you tell if you made a bad staffing decision or if that channel just isn't going to work? The proof is in the pudding. You know, A plus work that's moving quickly is the standard. Like that's the standard that I would impose. I would recommend any leader demand A plus work that moves quickly. And so if either of those are not true, then you may have like, you know, a staffing problem or, or we'll say an opportunity to, to improve by rethinking how you're, how you're staffing something. You know, then if you, if you have those, if you have A plus work and it's moving quickly, but it's being done with external resources, then I would look at the cost and ask myself, okay, you know, do I want to bring in this in-house? If so, over what timeline? So, so I think it kind of comes back to the A-plus work, the pace of, of progress, and the cost. That Does that answer your question? Great. Yes, yes, that certainly answered my question. Any, uh, any other points on staffing that you feel like you wanted to touch on that we didn't get a chance to cover? No, I think, I think we've, we've definitely hit the high points. Cool, that sounds good. I mean, I'm sure you could talk about this stuff for for hours but uh for for sake of podcast uh, i think this is a yeah a, a good, good place to wrap well tyler thank you so much for joining i i learned a bunch i think this is a a fantastic overview of, of how to think about staffing thank you so much for joining thank you for having me my pleasure Absolutely. And for those of you listening, as always, if you're a fan of this episode or any other, hit the subscribe button. Uh, my email is mattadrift.com. If you got questions, suggestions, whatever it might be, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, just shoot me a note and I will catch you on the next episode. All right. Thanks. Thanks.